Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Have you been looking for a break from the drudgery of the real world? What if the future wasn't so bleak? What if someone was to save us all? How would that look? I must know, does your microwave can't go ting when it's done shooting? Well, you're in luck, because Cybertopia is a rules-like TTRPG actual play that explores just such a reality. We've got this disco ball, which is pretty cool. We've got these two drones flying around in here, uh, dodging me out of the smoke. Check us out on your podcast app of choice, and here are rolling cast of 16 fantastic players take on weird and wild missions that the corporate overlords need taken care of for totally altruistic and benevolent reasons. Okay, this time it's serious. I would like to turn my uh, hacking hat backwards. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. So it is really great to be back in the studio again with Mr. Myers and Mr. Miller. We have had two months plus of amazingly solid interviews. And for tonight's episodes, uh, you get to deal with just the three of us. That'll be a good time. We're talking about a a topic that is hot in the news and has been hot in the news for the last few months here. But uh, before we get into that, so Mr. Myers, where are you right now? Road Warrior Glenn Myers, are you still, uh, last year you were in Maryland, right? I'm still in Maryland. We're not at my sister's house anymore. Now I'm technically in Maryland because I'm outside of the D.C. city limits, but we're right here beside the metro stop to go into the city. Yeah, we spent Excellent. the day today at the zoo on Connecticut Avenue, I think. Nice. And it was a good time. It took, it was a lot of walking. And that that zoo, just in case anybody ever goes, be prepared. It starts out at the top of a hill. And the end of the zoo, the other end of it, is at the bottom of the hill. And Ooh. you have to walk all the way back up it. That zoo sounds backwards. Yeah. It will definitely be a hike. (laughs) I I was at the National Zoo 15 years ago, and I absolutely loved it. I had a blast. It's actually – I've been to a couple major zoos and several smaller ones, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I liked the National Zoo 
and had a much better time more than I liked the San Diego. See, it's been a long time since I've been to the San Diego Zoo, so it would be hard for me to judge that a long time. But uh, the National Zoo is free, which is awesome, like a lot of things in D.C. But if anybody's (laughs) thinking about it, just so you know, if you drive in, you're still going to pay 30 bucks to park. (laughs) But if you stay outside the city and use the metro line, by the time you get in and out, if you've got more than a couple of people, it'll probably be close to that 30 bucks anyway. You just won't have had to deal with the traffic. I can definitely say that D.C., as far as visiting and having things to do and see and just the history involved in the city is awesome. We're going to hit the aerospace, the Smithsonian Aerospace Museum and the Smithsonian Natural History Museum. Those are the two things on our docket tomorrow. Space Museum so yeah. cool. It's been a hot minute since I've been to Washington, D.C., and so I'm, I'm looking forward to, as Alice gets older, that I'm sure that is going to be on the list of places that we need to go ahead and spend some time. I'm yeah. just glad that I don't vacation like I used to, where we'd get up at 6 a.m. and try to see 15 things in the day so that we can mm. cram the entire city into three days. I don't yeah. do that anymore. Yeah, no, We're going to see about four yeah. things while we're here, but we'll come back next year. We'll see you a couple of more. Nice. All right. Well, all that being said, let us uh, let's dive into tonight's topic because man, there is an awful lot of fruit on the vine on Project Black Flag. It was born in June or July of last year, but really came to the forefront when uh, when the OGL kerfluffle at the end of 2022, beginning of 2023, came out here. Well, let's just start there with maybe a little bit of background on on what Project Black Flag is and what it's trying to go ahead and accomplish. And Lou and Nika, I think that you've done probably the most amount of research on this, at least have, have listened to the most things. What's your impression on where is where did Project Black Flag begin and what are its overt goals? Yeah, first of all, I will certainly tell the whole audience I have no insider information. I know what the public has access to, but I have spent a bit of time kind of reading and reviewing and listening to lots of coverage on the project. To start with, as far back as June, Cobalt Press was working on a concept. Now, whether that was because they had a heads up on what was coming with the OGL or not, who knows, but they had started working on what potentially could be a brand new game and game system. My guess is they probably did have some kind of hint or inkling, but because there's a lot of big companies that were leaning towards as one D&D was being developed, the process of maybe we're going to do a different game. Maybe we're going to do something slightly different, but make it as backwards compatible as possible. Yeah. And I think that's where this really began. And then when... Sorry, before you move on that, because I think that... Because that's exactly I think that that's an important part. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second, because obviously that's the origin story of Project Black Flag, and it's the origin story of the OGR, which we're going to wind up talking about, and a bunch of other things. But here's the reality of what the, what mid-2022 was like in the Dungeons & Dragons sphere. We knew that 5th edition was being revised or edited or updated or something in what eventually would become 1D&D. We knew that was coming in June, because they'd already said that it was coming and that was going to be coming later that year but nobody really knew what the shape was going to be we didn't know if it was a full sixth edition we'd heard kind of these promises that it was going to be backwards compatible with fifth edition but everyone was wondering how does wizards of the coast put out a rules update that's actually backwards compatible and how much of that was lip service versus not full backwards compatibility is really hard when you're talking about a game engine that's as big and as complicated as Dungeons and Dragons that is no small feat and I suspect that people like Kobold and other big game publishers MCDM probably like MCDM probably didn't have any faith that Wizards of the Coast would do it well because 
2022 and the end of 2021 were lackluster years for Wizards of the Coast in terms of the content they were putting out. So I can see Cobalt and MCDM and other publishers saying, man, Wizards of the Coast is putting out backwards compatible rules, but they're probably going to suck at it, <laughs> at well, least at first. On top so, of that, every one of them, because these other companies started like us, they started from the fan base. Yeah. So every one of them know the agony of trying to make it in a tabletop role-playing world in the fantasy genre specifically under the rulership of one game. And the community for a while has been saying, we need more options. We need more options. Yeah. I think that's what project black flag was originally. I think wizard said, we're not going to call it 5.5. We're going to go with a whole new name and call it one D and D, which is a fallacy because even just based on their playtest material, it was an update of five E. So it was 5.5. We just want to call it something else for this right. big bundle thing we're doing to take all your money. But that's another, that's an aside. We'll set that aside. We've right done now. that. So <laughs> check the links in the description. Yeah, yeah. But creating something like core fantasy role-playing off of 5e, since D&D had already said they were going in a different direction without knowing that the OGL debacle was coming, I think was 100% their plan. Not just to try to do it better than WotC, but specifically to get another brand out there that people can yeah. work for under and, and adventure under. So I think that was a big part of it too. And then the OGL debacle happened and they're like, oh crap, we can't make it 5e compatible. We're going to have to go whole new game. But they'd already so, announced it. Yeah, so here's where I am convinced that they had some foreknowledge of what was coming down the pike. Because like you said, many companies were out there building new games. So I absolutely hear that thought. And while I think there's some great merit to it, and I think company by company, that's probably pretty accurate. But with some of the big companies, my guess is that's not exactly what happened. My guess is they had six months or more warning. My evidence for that is this. They had a very large coalition of people sign on to that at the time the leak was made public. Now, whether or not they released that information faster than they originally intended to, it's clear that Cobalt likes transparency. So once it became necessary to talk about it, they clearly did. But that's a large coalition to have put together in just about two and a half, maybe three weeks. There's a lot that went into that. And I don't think that started after the OGL problem began once Hasbro put their foot in it. Yeah. My second piece of evidence to this is – there were a lot of games that came out in 2022 that were originally planned to be 5e, and those companies switched gears well before summer of 2022. Specifically looking at Renegade Games, G.I. Joe, Transformers, My Little Pony. I've listened to a couple different podcasts. I'm going to shout out Snyder's Return on this one. He did a great episode with one of the lead creators of the G.I. Joe game who did some work on Transformers and some work on My Little Pony. And he mentioned in the course of that interview that through most of the early development, this was planned as a 5e game. Renegade switched gears well before the summer of 2022 because G.A. <laughs> Joe came out sometime over the summer. They had switched that and made the decision to make it a non-5e game well before that point. That tells me that industry leaders knew something bad was going to happen and companies were already in the process of distancing themselves from 
5e and hasbro they didn't know how to do it and they were going to be very quiet about it until hasbro screwed up like they would have literally had an answer immediately when it became known but because hasbro put their foot in it because of thankfully a lot of those leaks they had they had to jump in early my other piece of evidence, and through no interview that we've had with any personnel from MCDM, they they never even gave us any clue that anything was going on. But what I will say is the telling statements they've made public, they've been planning on a game system that was not 5e-based for a long time. I have hmm. nothing but the utmost of respect for all the folks over at MCDM. I've never spoken or met Mr. Coville, Matt Coville, though I've been a fan of his for years. But we have had conversations with several people that work at EM, and all of them, to me, are right at the pinnacle of honesty, transparency. The only time they don't talk about something is when there's an NDA. And, right. so- when, and whenever we asked a question that led to what's coming up, All of them very much said there are some things that are NDA, but here are a few things that aren't. So that tells me that even they had an inkling that this was going to happen. So So I don't disagree with you, and I think that's 100%, but I don't think it's a surprise, nor should it be, because we all already know also that WotC and Hasbro had already met with Kickstarter before the OGL link happened. So clearly they were already talking to other companies prior to this. But just like that magic word, NDA, it doesn't just have to apply to a product that you contract somebody to work on. It could be just based on a meeting and the stuff that they're going to reveal to you in the initial opportunity that they're offering you to work with them. So, yeah, definitely there were large companies out there that knew that something was coming that wasn't good. That I agree with you 100 percent, my friend. And And I'll be honest, it's a perfectly reasonable thing for a business to do to hold a meeting. And whether a contract was signed to be silent about it or not, it is good business practice to keep confidence. Nobody needs to say to me as a business person, you must keep this quiet. If it's not absolutely necessary or pertaining or required, I will generally keep it quiet because it's just a good business practice. It's a good practice as a human being. When somebody tells you something, reasonably speaking in confidence, whether they state it directly or not, who you don't go out there and put that business out there. Watson made some kind of a statement about changes to the OGL are coming quite some time ago as well. They just did not indicate at all what they were trying to do to the rest of the common people. Yeah. And so that brings us up to within a few months of the current day when the OGL kerfluffle happened at the beginning of the year. And then Cobalt was one of they may not have been the first one to go ahead and say, hey, come out to come out rather and say, we're going to be doing this big new thing. I think that the first uh, one I remember. Well, it, 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 it was a mix between them and the OGR when when MCDM said that they were coming out with the OGR. Pathfinder, sorry, what Pathfinder said that they were coming out with the OGR. Like those were the two big 800-pound gorillas in the room. And within probably hours of one another, they had both put out press releases saying, you know what, Watsi? F off. We're, go- we're taking our ball and going home, and I bet you we're going to be taking a bunch of our customers with us, was very much kind of the tone of the messages that they put out, is that they were not scared of Watsi. They did not feel like they needed Watsi's backing to go ahead and do what they were going to go ahead and do, and that they were going to strike out on their own. Cobalt Press said, F you, Watsi, we're going to go our own way. Once Watsi gave 5e to common license, Cobalt also issued a statement saying that they were actually going to keep Black Flag 5e compatible. They said, okay, we're sticking with this. We're not going to make it a completely separate game anymore. Yeah. Quick 
clarification for the audience who may not be as up to speed as as we have been or steeped in this. And for God's sake, I'm more power to you. Being this steeped <laughs> in this stuff is a wonderful thing. I wish I had the latitude to to do, but it is what it is. Um, what Watsy did specifically was two things. They said OGL that we've had for the past 20 some odd years stays the same. Point one. Point two, Watsy then said all of that becomes common license, which means anybody can build anything off of those things. The one clarification point is what's in that common license is still extremely limited. But what it allowed for, because it's common license, is Black Flag to not have to stray too far from 5e they were able to then say and pivot back and this is what they said now that this is part of the common license we can be more directly involved with the 5e game and that's the pivot point that black flag made and that really catches us up to where we are and these playtest documents coming out yeah so let's talk a little bit about what we see in these playtest documents and i think we come back at the end and we talk about we feel about how that that 5e underpinning is is working in the material that that they've put out here they've already put out their schedule they said that playtest document would come out in february it did they said playtest document 2 would come out in march it did and that our next playtest document will be coming out next month and the first two packets are largely character creation based right they are first playtest packet has the core mechanics that they're changing up with with character generation in terms of how they are now separating out the lineage and heritage from a specific race. Now kind of this is this is something that we have been talking about on the show for a very long time. I know Louis Nika has been talking about this I think since we started this podcast. We are all so very much in favor of this concept of giving the ability to really open up flexibility and let characters be characters in a way that just really opens up opens up possibilities. What do we think about the way that this particular implementation is put out there? Do we think that it scratches the itch or do we feel like it misses the mark? I think it scratches the itch so wonderfully and in addition to that leaves so much room to grow and create for other creators. They did a wonderful job the way they separate it, just the way their character generation is being worked on and built where – Every element in the character generation has a few mechanical pieces that are and choices that you can make every piece. And they still leave in build your own along the way in each of those steps as well. You players have ultimate choice as well as there's a direction that steers so that there is a narrative through line for a given heritage and a narrative through line for a given ancestry. And I think that's exactly that magic piece that I was looking for, asking for, tripping over my words three years ago when I said that, or when we were originally talking about it, I couldn't accurately describe why I think some things need to be or some things need to be locked in while you still need to give choice. I couldn't find a voice or a method to make that sing. And the folks at Cobalt Press absolutely did. This is exactly what I was dreaming of without being able to put it on paper. And I can't say enough good about it. And from a creative standpoint, for us, in terms of if we write for core fantasy role-playing in the future, it's, there's so much narrative fruit left on the vine this way. Because you can take a lineage that exists. You can take an elf 
and its standard heritage, which is listed there. But you can just toss that heritage to the side, and in your world, you're making elves that come from the desert. So you recreate a new heritage, and you've and for your world, elves come. It's beautiful, or the ability to be raised by another race and use their heritage abilities instead. It's neat, size. It's what's the word I'm looking for? Efficient, smooth. Yep. Yeah. Just take a city. Josh, you and I spent, you grew up in Boston. I spent a lot of my youth in Boston, yeah. in the Boston area. The difference between somebody who was raised in, in, in the town versus somebody raised in Quincy or somebody <laughs> in Peabody versus somebody raised in Chelsea, the difference between those areas and neighborhoods, even though they're all in the Boston metropolitan yeah. area, are vast. You could literally build a city where each district has its own background. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and, and once you put that background and mix that with a heritage, and then mix that with an ancestry, the amount of options that you have, and the dials and knobs that you can turn and twist to build yeah. the character you wish, you can either start with a thing and find all the things to make it do that, or you could just build it this way and go. The only thing that it could do better is have a life path. I mean, that's really the only thing it could possibly miss because <laughs> yeah. I love life paths. But right. but it, it and that can be more complex than a standard sword and board fantasy game needs to be. Right. Yeah. I like it. It's an extra. I think a great optional rule. But it, this is all the bells and whistles and none of them too complex. Yeah, I totally agree with you guys. I think that the structure for the way they're laying out heritage and lineage are fantastic. I'm really excited to see how they're laying this on there. And on some level, it, it creates what you might think are weird character, weird kind of possibilities. Like if you have if you have a human character who was raised among the fire dwarves, and they so they gain that like innate fire resistance. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of thing? Is that a weird like supernatural twist on on a human character? To those people that think that that's a little weird, all that I want to say is go work in a pizza kitchen for six months months and look at what happens to your hands at the end of those six months and once you get your fingerprints back you'll realize that fire resistance can definitely be a learned skill absolutely yep. when i was a line cook i could flip bacon on a grill with my fingers oh yeah totally absolutely yeah you know i used to be a i used to be a dishwasher in a restaurant and you would talk about how hot those things come out you're dealing with like ceramic and glass 200 degrees oh forget about it like absolutely just look at people who are used to a specific climate on our own planet. If you take someone oh, yeah. from the desert and drop them in New England totally. in the wintertime, they're oh, going to freeze to death. You take somebody yeah. from New England and drop them in the desert, they're going to have heat stroke. Your body climatizes oh, yeah. to your environment. I won't tell you how much crap I got from my coworkers who, who live and work in the Phoenix area when uh, when they were talking about that gigantic cold snap we had in Maine about a month and a half ago or whatever. Oh, did you hear about like the, this place called Mount Washington that was 140 degrees below zero? I was like, yeah, I can see Mount Washington from my house. It's 72 <laughs> miles away, straight line. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. like I grew up in the Mount yeah. Washington Valley. I it was know chilly that here mountain. too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it was cold here too. I will say that the one thing with kind of like this beginning section is that it does still read like a playtest document. It is missing, and I know that it's a playtest document, so I'm trying not to be too harsh on it. But it is definitely, it's not ready for prime time just yet. It definitely so, still needs some refinement. They need to go ahead and listen to customer feedback a little bit. Because one thing that I will that's say what is. What are doing that, though? I got to call bullshit, Josh. I'm sorry. You just no, no, said no. the words. You said the words. It reads like a playtest document. It is a playtest document. Okay. So then, yes, it is. And there are still mistakes in here that shouldn't even be in a playtest document. Look at the way that they're handling stats, right? So 
you have, so they give you your ability to go ahead and roll and you can add your set, whatever. That rolling is different because that's will of the dice gods. But look at the difference between their point buy and their standard array. Point buy gives you 32 points to go ahead and buy your stats, right? If you take the standard array, they only give you 30 points. That's a mistake. That's just a mistake in the mechanics. And it's, that's that mm. kind of like detail. Like nobody actually looked to see, no. okay, are these two systems equitable? But is it though? I'm going to play devil's advocate to that specific point. It could very well be a mistake and might very well be. In fact, odds are it was a mistake. However, there is also the possibility that maybe they maybe they're saying we want you to do standard array. We don't want you to do uh, or we want you to do the one that has more points. We don't want you to do the other. So they sweeten the pot by giving it two extra points. No, I I, I don't. No, it, I mean, it no. probably is a mistake. And it's fair, a mistake. but it happens. As a publisher, we publish things, right? And we put out things with mistakes too. I'm we just saying do not. take a deep uh, breath, step back, and put <laughs> down your like I don't know, perfection grammaristic mechanical hat for a second. That's an opportunity for you to also give them feedback and say, Why is this? On my end, I never I and I've been over this document multiple times and probably because I'm not a math person. I didn't, I didn't stop and break that down either. I right. did not pick up on that at all. Didn't care. <laughs> Neither did Cobalt. <laughs> yeah, mattered not to me. I just what don't I, use standard array. I'll be honest. I skimmed past yeah. it and just assumed it was the same as Watsi's. I'm going to yeah, be honest. Right. What I did pay attention to is the fact that they specifically said that the characters in core fantasy are going to be a little bit bigger, tougher than that, which is why their point buy has more points than standard 5e, which is 27 points, if I remember all correctly. Right. So this was designed to be x number of points more than that and their thought process for that was quite simply they didn't want characters to necessarily start with negative modifiers i think that's where that came from the Mm. idea was not to do the negative modifier bit i feel like you are explaining a lot of circles around something that probably just amounts to they made a mistake it well, is still I'll, but they did I'll specifically say okay. it was going to be more powerful for the reason I just mentioned. Oh, and it is more powerful. If you look at the just look at the abilities in here when we get to the next document, we're talking about class abilities and the base one of the base class abilities sure. for for a fighter to reroll hit dice instead of yeah. um, the second wind option. That's powerful. We're going to get there, but that's an awesome ability, and I like it much better than the five E fighter. Period. So I like not, ramp ups. Yeah, for the most yeah. Part. and not just because too. it's powerful, but because it's better at the table. All right. So, I, okay, fine. You guys didn't. You guys didn't like me looking at the stats to go ahead and see where the numbers will end up. Here's another one for you then. So there is a single mention in the document to luck points, and all that it says is that when you design your character, your luck points start at zero. Now, if this document is actually meant to go ahead and explore character creation and the game mechanics that they're going to be running with, why not take a paragraph and explain what luck points are? As, I don't as disagree. A, as, as I understand it, the answer to your question is that system hasn't been fully designed yet or hasn't been fully worked out it's, yet. It's listed it's in the next playtest document. Yeah. It's all in the next playtest document. Yeah. So it may not I have been done with it at this time, though. Yeah, yeah, that's why. I think the idea was we're going to have a luck system. We know that you're not going to start with any, so we'll mention that and we'll explain the luck system when yeah. we get to it. That's right. That was, and, I mean, because if you're creating a design. character sheet and there's a spot for luck, all you need to know at character creation is at zero. Yeah, you don't need right. to know that right now. You need yeah. to know that later when you're talking about your character advancing and how you get luck points, which is when you start talking about advancement, which they don't do in the first document. So I think that was by design, yeah. and I think that was actually pretty good design. Don't give you more than what you need for the document you're in so they get all of their feedback focused on what was right. In. 
later when the book is done and that blurb during character creation, it might say at the end of that one little bit about luck and it starts at zero more on luck on page, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I just, and it is fair. They do explain it in the second document. And since we all now started to dance around the second document, we can start talking about the second document. But yeah, you're right. They Uh do get into the second document. I just, when I read the first document, I was kind of like, oh, come on. When I read the first document (laughs) like that without anything else too, I was a little bit like that as well. Because there are a number of things in here that are mentioned, but you don't get a lot of information yet. It didn't seem like that first playtest document felt, I don't want to say weak, because I like a lot of the stuff in it, but light. Light. It felt light. Exactly. And I have heard that feedback, and I'm not casting shade against either of you two, because that is the same feedback that I've heard from any number of podcasters and YouTubers in the community when this document first came out. And the feedback on the second one is, I really like the fact that they're filling in some of these gaps. But I personally, and maybe this is just me and the way my particular brain works, liked it because I get very confused when I get more than I need to handle the task at hand. And all of the things that you're pointing out was more than I needed to handle the task at hand. I like that's what I mean. When I say light, I don't mean that I think they should have included the luck. I just mean I felt like there could have been more to it, which made those things stand out, like only giving a couple of races versus, hey, if it's a playtest document and you're setting up lineages and heritage for everybody, give us all of the core races, just the core ones, not any new ones you're coming up with. So we have something else to playtest if I have a character at my table who wants to be a halfling. So bearing in mind that this obviously is faster than they wanted to have this stuff come out. Right. They didn't plan on the OGL kerfuffle happening over the holidays. My thought process is, and this is just the way I think of a playtest document, it should be is you only need to give me enough to understand what I'm looking at. If I had 20 different ancestries to work with, I think that would be complex. And what they're given was, which they put elsewhere in the document or whatever is you can use any of the of the five E basically you, you Pick these to start with, play with these until you understand how the system is going to work. It was never a statement that this is all that we have. This is, here's a couple, figure so you can figure out how this is going to work. I never said there was a statement about this is all that they have. And they do talk about the fact that here's a couple. What I'm saying is if you want me to play test your character creation rules, the way that I'm going to do that, if I was truly going to play test it, as opposed to just sitting down and trying to break it down on paper at the table by myself would be to do what we're trying to do with the one D&D play test that we've backed off of, which is create a full party. If I don't have enough to create a full party of characters, if I don't, you know what I'm saying? Then how are we supposed to get this play test started? And that's just the way it made me feel. And I thought absolutely opposite of that. I think for me, in order to do a good play test, you need humans, elves, dwarves, and you need one person to play those, everybody else to play a standard 5e race and see if that character matches up with those. That, to me, is a good play test. That's my view of the scientific method. Only one character is different than the rest and see if that matches with everything else versus everybody doing something different. Because in theory, everybody should be – being different is going to – work with themselves because you're all using the same rules. If you're testing its backwards compatibility, you only need one thing different, one character different than the rest of the party to see how that plays with the rest. 
that's how you test backwards compatibility. So I thought this was actually very good from that perspective. So we've danced into the second playtest here. And in the second playtest, we get finally, we get two core classes revealed. We get the fighters and we get the wizards. Glenn, you'd said, you'd talked a little bit about the kind of the, what you liked about the fighter progression. What, have at it again. What is it that you liked about the fighter progression? Yeah. Fair enough. So on the fighter in particular, just looking at their their abilities, and these progressions only go up to like level eight as well. Yeah. They don't have full ability progressions all the way through 20 yet. But just in the very beginning of it, the fighter gets last stand, which is a first level fighter feature. It's replacing second wind, basically. When you take damage, that would reduce your hit points to an amount less than half, rounded down. You can use your reaction to spend one or more of your hit dice up to a number equal to your proficiency bonus, immediately rolling and regaining hit points like right there on the spot. Now, it fixes the problem with Second Wind, which didn't scale before. Right. But now it's going to scale with it. So by the time you've got like a plus six proficiency bonus, you're throwing out as a fighter 6d10 to regain hit points mid-battle every short rest. And that's a lot. It's significantly more powerful than the old ability. Uh, it's right on point for what it should be so that it scales as you get bigger, because otherwise a second wind by the time you're 18th level doesn't really do a whole lot for you. So it's great. But yeah, significant step up in the power level. And I think I've seen in a number of spots throughout it really good fixes two original abilities that should have been more like second wind. And in addition to that, it fixes the action economy issues with second wind. I, at my Battlemaster Warforge just achieved 20th level over this past weekend as we're recording. And and I can tell you second wind as a bonus action when I'm in the middle of a fight is a troublesome decision to have to make. You don't use it until it's too late to use it because you can't afford to not be attacking. And then when you do use it, it's not enough because Honestly, at the levels we're playing, the 26 hit points I get I that I get now or the slightly less than that that I was getting is not nearly enough to uh, handle the level of threats we're up against. Wizard's going to be throwing out significantly more than those 30 points, but I'm also not using it until I get under 30 points because I can't afford to not do that next attack. I so, didn't pick up on that as much because I haven't played as many fighters as you, but that's an excellent point. Action yeah, economy-wise yeah. is a reaction. By making Oof, it a reaction, hot. that is amazing. While yeah. even for a fighter that I play, I have other things I use my reactions for, Battlemaster feats, things like that. That is a worthwhile trade now. It is less yeah. of a, man, I hate having to make this decision, and more of, wow, I have a really cool option that I can use right now. Yeah. It's now more that, of a, really holy good. crap, he just did how much damage to me? reaction right. yeah and i think the one thing that it takes away is the attack of opportunity because as a fighter particularly as a battle master your attacks of opportunity are you can prime them to be like as good as your primary attack so that's the one big trade-off that you get from taking it to a reaction but i, I do totally agree with you that they, in a class that routinely does not focus on its reactions it's right. not like the rogues it's not like anything like that really yeah, kind of always like have a bonus in its reaction space yeah exactly and so the spending your reaction and then still being able to do your bonus actions which is really where fighter does thrive love it absolutely freaking love it and nothing for nothing fighters peter out in comparison to spellcasters and say paladins yeah. once you get into those higher levels because oh, sure, yeah. you have spells smites things of that nature that can do that this even though it's just giving them survivability, beefs up that survivability so 
it may not be in the same way, but now they're it gives them yet another avenue to be better on par in the higher levels, higher tiers. Hey there, travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level, plus Adventurer-level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DM's Guild. We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. about the disciplines which is the black flag version of subclasses like that phrase like that term better than subclasses subclasses is fine now that i'm seeing disciplines i'm like it's lackluster in comparison to this so i like the narrative feel of disciplines yeah it didn't uh, maybe i'm just being negative on this it didn't do much for me i didn't feel like disciplines was fine subclasses is also fine i never really thought too much about like the power of the word the other thing that I put into the same category was using improvements and talents instead of feats and ability score increases. It's like, eh. It's just, it seems like those two things struck me as look at how different we're going to be. We're going to use different words for the exact same mechanics. And so, that's kinda, eh. No matter what, they have to reinvent the feat system because the SRD lists the existence of feats but does not give you any feat but wrestling. It doesn't give you any why, feats, yeah. yeah. Which is the, the one feet that they aren't going to be able to convert directly into a talent i don't think hashtag in order uh, lessons to, we learned writing this book right. in order to cre- recreate the feet system because they can't copy watsi's feats because they're not part of the srd they had to make them something else it's actually a very fair point yep. yeah all right it was it was a necessary evil and I think it's absolutely fine. Like you so, said, this is terminology, and I think the reason I get similarly, that's why they went with disciplines instead of calling them yeah. subclasses. If yeah. they had to make certain differentiations because the SRD only includes one subclass for each one, it is the prime one, fighter, champion, rogue, thief, so on and so forth. Yeah, so yeah. they have the opportunity to redefine certain things really right. well with disciplines. So for example, this this first fighter discipline is really a good mix of the champion and the battle master. And I think it grabs the best parts of both and really makes some narrative and play at the table sense. I like what having played a battle master, which is my absolute favorite fighter subclass, right? I don't think that's how I rated it. I might have rated it second now that I think about that when we did our <laughs> last discussions. But having played one to huge levels, I can tell you, I really like this. And I could see me playing a fighter using this discipline and yeah. really having a good time. I like the way these abilities work, the way they work together. I see the play at the table coming together with this very well. Yeah. So I'm assuming you're, so you're talking about the weapon master discipline. I yes. also thought I liked the disciplines. I liked the way that they did this. I thought that the spell blade discipline was hot. 
It is also very good. So yes. much better than the Eldritch Knight. I mean, I think it probably counters the Blade Singer too. Like it's really yeah. built to go ahead. Like that spell multi attack that you get at seventh level when all, when you can when you engage your multi attack and instead of making a weapon attack, you can go ahead and fire a cantrip instead in oh. the middle of three attacks around. Say, oh like, my goodness, sword strike, <laughs> firebolt, sword strike. Oh my goodness, yeah. Firebolt Sword Strike, you're talking about using your bonus actions. You get bonus action attacks, like yeah. fire, you know, that now you can go ahead and do things like, what's the cantrip that allows you to go ahead and freeze somebody and basically reduce their movement so they can't get uh, away from you? Touch. No. Yep. Uh, or touch Witch Bolt. Or, which, uh, or I guess Witch Bolt's light, the first level Lightning spell, Lure, but... drag somebody yeah, to oh you, God. then hack them yeah. twice. God. Oh, so many possibilities. So many possibilities. Yes, yeah, it's the narrative it. that I wanted the Eldritch Knight to have that it didn't. That's what the Spellblade really does. It just gives you the it, it gives me the mechanics to support the narrative that I wanted out of a spellcasting swordsman. Yeah. Hands down. The I think both of these disciplines are better than many of the current five E subclasses. Yep. Yep. What about the wizard? What do we think about the, we talked a lot about you the can't fighters firebolt so firebolt sword attack? You can only do one cantrip. Yes. Just to clarify. Yep. I thought that when you, you can't use cast your more than one class... cantrip in this in the in one uh, attack action in this way. Yep. But at uh, least you get at least you get the yep. one. So you can sword firebolt. Yep. Yeah. Fine. Fine. So w- what about the wizard? We talked a lot about the fighter so far. What do we think about the wizard? I liked it. There's some wonkiness. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the rings versus levels. Again, yep. it's a terminology thing and I get it. So that's something I'll figure out. But I But it's, it makes sense. Yeah. Can I just speak on rings versus levels for a minute? Absolutely. Please, yeah. Because it confused the crap out of me for a minute. And then suddenly I was <laughs> like, but wait, can you cast a third level spell at third level? No, you can't. Can you cast a fifth level spell at fifth level? <laughs> They're not nice. the same, man. And it's confusing. The only reason we don't think it's confusing is because we've been playing the game for so damn long that we've accepted it. But I will tell you, that is one of the, whenever you get a new player, that is one of the hardest things as a GM or a DM or a storyteller you have to explain to a brand new player to role playing is your character level and your spell level are two different things. So they've separated it. Now difficult. it's not, now it's character levels and rings of power. As you move from one ring to another, you become more powerful, or the spells yeah. become more powerful. And I like that narrative flow. It's um, got to take a little getting used to. <laughs> yep. it, changing the nomenclature in, in my brain will take some time, but I think that works really well. And look, if the point, if part of the point of any new game or any existing game is to make an easier point of entry for new players, Oh, then for all of you out there who haven't really read that, that well. might have been confusing too. Sorry, Lunigo. I've gone silent so you can finish. I was gonna say I didn't know if you were gonna if you're gonna actually explain why that would be confusing. So uh, because we didn't not, actually not, say what the it, we didn't actually say what the rings were. I just talked about them briefly. Yeah. But instead of a first level spell, it's a spell from the first ring. It's a first ring spell, second yeah. ring spell, third ring spell as rings of power advance. Yeah. And that was the, just that breakdown was all we missed. Sorry. No, no, and that was a great point to break in and mention that because we need to do that from time to make sure that our hundred some odd years plus of gaming experience <laughs> doesn't get ahead of everybody right. in our audience. While there are right. many in our audience who've been gaming nearly as long, if not longer than us, not many on the longer than us end of things, but uh, you're great. Right. <laughs> yeah. But Come um, on, don't well, age us out all the way. I'm not a dinosaur yet. <laughs> But you were around with the woolies. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Yeah. We laugh, but I was there too. But but essentially, it is it is always a good idea for us to pause, add some clarity, and make sure everybody's on the same yeah. page so that we know what we're talking about. And right. this is a brand new document, and not everybody in the community might have read all of the details. So for us to do this is important because not every podcast takes the time to explain those little details. Some folks yeah. just go over it. Some do a better job of explaining. I would like us to be uh, on the better job of explaining end of that spectrum. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All that to go ahead and say, though, I think that the thing that I liked most about the ring setup is, boy, does that make the whole concept of pushing a spell to a higher ring or pulling it to a lower ring to lower the effect that really gives it a really such a great visual on how that happens. Cause when you in five E when you're like, okay, so I've got a fifth level spell, but I'm going to cast it at sixth level to go ahead and get the extra Benny or whatever to go ahead and push it. I just think that the concept of the rings and that being a, the ability to, to push it or pull it back, um, I, I think that is a little bit, it's a little bit more elegant to explain it that way. I think I visualize it a little bit better, <gasps> and I wonder if they're going to build in the capability to go ahead and pull a spell back for lesser effect. So you've got a fifth level spell, but I'm casting it at third level because I don't need to do 86. I only need to do 46. So I'm going to pull it back a little bit and save so my higher ranks. And here's my guess. If they don't build that into the core, this is where the fact that they're designing this game for yeah. third-party creators comes in. All we'd have to do is build a talent that does exactly that. Yeah, well, they're 100%, uh, I feel, building this for third-party gamers. They started out writing as a third-party, sure. and I think that they're very much setting up this core fantasy role-playing rule set to make it easy to expand upon for those of us out there that are going to come up with new things to say. But you said elegant. And earlier when I was just randomly spouting out words because I couldn't come up with the right one, Elegant is what I wanted to call the lineage and heritage system. Yeah. Kupla. Excellent. Kupla. <laughs> Sorry, cool. I had to throw in an STA yeah, reference. Yeah. So all, all that, though, Luminic, I think we, when you were talking about the rings, I think we cut you off to go ahead and reiterate what the rings actually are. <laughs> yeah. All, what I was going to say is I like them. I think I didn't spend, when I was looking at this document, a ton of time getting into the nitty-gritty of the spells. Wizards are not typically my favorite characters to play. I have played many, and I enjoy them. I love the one that we played during our class warfare some time ago, even though like, I fell down a lot. You died a lot. Yeah. And quickly. But I don't dislike wizards. And as a storyteller, I want them to play very well for the people who do love them and want to play them. And so I feel this is going to supply that level of playability that will work for them. There are enough little differences that are really fairly minor, but there are things to note. The rings versus levels is something people have to get used to. What you're going to be able to do as far as moving things up or and hopefully eventually back will be an interesting nuance to this or could be an interesting nuance. But in general, I really dig it because they were only going to eighth level and I get that for a play test. That's really as far as you really need to go. So I'm fine with that. But knowing what the spell progression is going to be beyond that at some point during this play test process doesn't have to be today. Okay. But hopefully before place test documents come out at the end or before this goes to Kickstarter, we might get the higher end of the spell progression because that's the one thing it'd be nice to know what I'm building towards yeah. would be that spell list. So that would be my that's my feedback on that piece towards. Yeah, I think that's probably the model I think is easy enough to suss out where it's probably going to be the same 
as like fifth edition spell progression, where it's like if I'm fifth level, I get access. That's when I get access to to my third ring. If I'm seventh level, that's when I get that kind of thing. So it's it's every other level I get access to another ring. I only ever get one seventh, eighth, or ninth ring spell at a spell slot at a time. That kind of thing. So I'm sure that we can project that, but there may be talents that improve that and that kind of thing, or give you additional spell slots and stuff like that. Yeah, that's the other thing that I want to. That's what my hand is up about too. The (laughs) elephant in the room, as we all every. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna snake it. Folks, I just want to say this. If you were able to watch us do this piece, all of us lit up at the exact same time and found yeah. three different methods to say we're about to start talking about rituals. Talk about rituals. I I because I've got the microphone, I think that the separation of spells and rituals is absolutely genius. I love Brilliant. it. Brilliant. Oh, I love it. Absolutely. So frigging fantastic. So fantastic. Oh, yeah. So yes, it has a I casting look- time of more than one action. Yeah. It's no it's longer a, a spell. It's now just, it's a ritual. It's a separate category. Yeah. So you can't yeah. make that confusing uh, F up anymore. And yeah, does it lose a little bit of flexibility where it's okay, if I need comprehend languages. Do I cast it? Do I use the action to go ahead and cast it? Or do I spend the 10 minutes to go ahead and cast it as a ritual and save the spell slot? I but don't it's have only that- one minute for rituals now. Oh, yep. sure. But what I mean is like, I, I lose the flexibility of being able to have it right now. Oh, I can spend right, right, six right, seconds right. to do it. As opposed, So if we're having to negotiate with the owl bear that just jumped out of the woods with us, and I don't want to wait a minute while I'm sitting over there playing with my, my, my tokens and rubbing my incense together and say, hold on, Mr. Owlbear, don't eat me yet. I'm Hold on. I'll be with you in a second. Don't All worry. Right, your two friends, your two friends will sacrifice themselves to the owl bear first, like you and right. I did. Exactly. Did. Right. Yeah. So it does lose that little bit of flexibility where it's like, nope, I need it right now. And I'm not going to spend the time to do the ritual. I'm just going to get it. It loses that little bit of flexibility, but I will gladly take that flexibility loss for the clean cut mechanical coolness Mm -hmm. of rituals and spells being separate. Thank you very much. So I want to jump in here and this is where I'm going to say you're not wrong about any of that as far as losing that flexibility, but talk about room for a talent to come in. A talent could be you could cast one ritual a day or two rituals a day or per long rest or whatever. You a talent could improve that, or you could pick one of your rituals per day that you could cast as an action or something like that. Like that would yeah. that would be a valid talent to me. That would be Remember a good that. discipline ability. Or like if you created yes, a caster that. who's who's trained to do that the other thing i would say is and this takes it more into the meta than the actual narrative or the role play but in the meta of the game how many of us have building a character passed on great spells because we're never going to be able to cast it into combat and that's the only thing that we're loading up our spell loadout for are those combat abilities Like yeah. second level prayer so now, feelings. Your exploration spells, they're going to be among your rituals. Your Absolutely. role play spells are largely going to be among your rituals. Yep. But your combat loadout, that's going to be your active spells. And they've yeah. given us the narrative, the mechanical weight to support that very cool narrative. So now your wizards master of all these things and if you want to differentiate and i'm hoping they do this between wizards and say sorcerers maybe sorcerers have less rituals and warlocks have more 
and, and warlocks have more. So wizards sit in this fine space in the middle. Warlocks have they may have that eldritch blast or whatever the new ver- name version of that will be. But you're gonna have you're gonna have this mix where now sorcerers maybe they have more active spells than wizards, but they have zero rituals. And wouldn't that make sense? Consider sorcerers are supposed to be more innate and from the blood versus yep. trained and studied. Yep. Wow. Just yeah. wow. Even this when you take it to the half-casters. Yeah, half-casters, yeah. same thing. Take it to the half-casters. Druids, ritualistic. Ranger, or druids, natural sources of wild energy, that kind of thing. Yep. Rangers, ritualistic. Rangers, they're tracking. They're taking their time. They're understanding their environment. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh. It's oh. opened up a universe, a multiverse of possibilities. A labyrinth, if you amazing. will. Oh, yes. Mm. So because many they're... different ways you can bend and train this. If you want a discipline that has some magic pieces to it, cleric who's more in a arcane manner, they might have many more rituals. Maybe all of their magic is rituals. They have their normal divine spells or what have you, but maybe oh. what they're getting with their discipline is this huge arcane discipline list. Yeah, or uh, their talents arcane, that allow them to go ahead and arcane. take spells and make them rituals or something like that, but they don't something get to, they don't get yeah. spell spells. Yeah, just this is yeah. this is a stroke of brilliance. And at this stage, where one D and D has already done their, their they've already done pieces of this, I can tell you, Black Flag is well surpassing what one D and D's got on the table thus far. Now there's room well, for change. They could Watsy's looking at this and they could say, We got whooped. We just we got better change this. <laughs> <laughs> no. G- given the way that one D and D has effed with druids, I hope that Watsy is listening to feedback and I hope that they are paying attention because I this is not this, this is not a one D this is not a one D and D show, but boy, what the one D and D put out for the druid class, even the pal the, the put up when they put out paladins and druids, neither of them were good. Neither of them were good. They were so, and they both were seriously flawed. I, I, I can be honest with you guys. I'm going to be honest. I didn't read that one because Thank once. You yeah. Thank you, Glenn. You snaked me a bit. I was just going to say, I want to be honest with the audience here. I had the opportunity to read more on Black Flag or pay attention and read into detail one day. And I'll tell you what I did. I read a couple bits here or there. Yeah. And I watched two YouTube videos on it in general. One of those YouTube videos I was watching dishes, so I missed half of it. The other one, I honestly think I was more paying attention to Facebook on my phone. Then I really dug deep into into the Black Flag playtest. And what I can tell you is because my first cursory glance, I liked what I saw. I was happy to be reading this document, happy to be diving deep into this document. And I never had that feeling about 1D&D. Now, yeah. in the interest of full disclosure, I have a lot of baggage with Watsi. And that weighs on my desire to read their products. So I'll be honest, I have baggage with them. But even still, I have baggage with them as we were doing things with Dragonlance, which I still think was a great product. I think it was a good so, book. But I tell you what, I liked what I'm reading here much better than what I read over there. So to be fair, the reason I didn't is because once the whole kerfuffle went down, I'm not going to say that I'm anti-Watsi and D by any means, but as we've said as, a, as our podcast, it's shifted it completely out of our focus just based on the behavior of Watsi and the OGL and what they were doing. And yeah, they gave us 5e. They gave us the ability for Cobalt Press to be making Project Black Flag the way that they're making it now. 
which is great. But I am still interested in what comes out for one D and can't not be, man. I've been playing D and D since I was eight years old. It's always going to be. I'm always going to have some kind of vested interest in what they've got going on over there. So while I, but while I am interested, I'm no longer interested enough to actively play test it for them. So I'll wait and judge the final product. And honestly, at that point, that's when the proof will be in the pudding for yeah. Watsi and Hasbro to see how they present one D and D and it's OGL or whatever they do for it to the well, community. I, and that's when we'll find out if Hasbro learned anything from this. Cause I don't think they even understood what they were getting into in terms right. of this kind of a community, yeah. uh, whether or not they learned anything from this or whether or not it'll just be continued shenanigans. Excellently. We have, uh, we have backed into the answer for the first question that I wanted to go ahead and toss out for the end of the show here. And that was, how do we feel that project black flag feels compared to one D and D? I think the, how we feel about that is pretty straightforward. Here's my mm, second question. Soundingly better. Resounding. And I like the material better too, honestly. There was yeah. good stuff in the one D and D first couple that I did yeah. do, but yeah, yeah. but it, it but, fell off. Yep. Here's the second question. I think that this is the bigger question about what Project Black Flag is versus what we may have thought Project Black Flag was going to be. And that's the big question for me is does Project Black Flag stick to its stated goals? What was Project Black Flag, even by Cobalt's own admission, going to be? And do we feel like it's uh, it's doing that? So just for review, they published what they want to accomplish with Project Black Flag right on their website. And so that very much goes to their transparency that you were talking about earlier, Lewanika, about what you, <laughs> what you think that uh, they actually want to do and how they want to go ahead and proceed so here are the goals that they stated at the beginning of project black flag before they even put out any of the playtest material they want to make the rules easier to read and understand and i think so far they're doing that i like so the apples if, that they're including yes. agree. yeah absolutely that's right. something lee wanika has been advocating for in our own writing that we've been resisting because watsi doesn't do it and i'm excited to have that validated and backed yep. up and like i so, said that is for my yeah. brain struggles and sorry josh yeah, it, it, sorry to sideline you, but yeah, no, my brain struggles when things become complex. And granted, this is before I did started taking better care of my mental health, but my brain would struggle with things that got a little overly odd and complex in a game. I want to sit down and have a game, play a game and have fun. If it got a little yeah. overly complex for nearly 30 years, and Glenn can attest, if I was starting a new game, if it wasn't immediately clear to me, I would ask Glenn if he wanted to play. And then I would say, Glenn, tell me what rules I'm screwing up here. And yeah. then if Glenn didn't want to play and it was moderately confusing or moderately out of whack with the way my head works, I would simply never play the game Yeah, because <laughs> it wasn't fun for me to fight through the wording to figure right. out a game. Yeah. Examples and, could and, be and, just as bad if they get confusing too. But if you sure. give a good, clear example afterwards, which is what yeah. they've done so far. So that was thing one, make the rules easier to read and to understand. Thing two was provide tools to reduce game master burden, including encounter building tools, exploration building tools, social encounter tools, and more. We haven't seen that yet. We can't weigh in on that one yet, but it's coming according to the playtest schedule. We're going to see that soon. Rebalance a whole lot of existing elements, especially feats. I think that one there, I'm not sure that we can give them credit for that because of course they have to rebalance feats because they can't build feats. They can't use feats from 5e. They have to build new ones. Please but hope that they're balanced, right? Yeah. yeah. They're balancing, I think, partially is what they're doing with what they have started to present, but we don't have enough information yet. Yep. With the three categories of feats, which we didn't talk about, or three categories of talents. Talents, they're yeah. They're martial, 
arcane or magical, some form of magical yeah. and technical, basically. Yeah. And you only get access Talent. to specific yeah. lists. Talent like trees. a fighter has access to the martial list. But then their subclass will give them access potentially to another list as well. Like exactly. the Spellblade gets a access to the magical list. To the arcane, yeah. And I think that might be part of what they're saying for balance. I think yep. that they were trying to find a way to limit some of the combinations that could be created. Yep. I think that's a really – I'm going to use the word again. I think that's a really elegant twist on the way that they used to do feat lists in, in third edition where it's like you've got – you follow certain feat trees. You start with one and then your options branch out from there as you go along. The other thing that they're doing as part of that balancing act is one, making feats or they are definitively part of the game, not an optional rule. Yeah. Following that, they are also saying at your improvement stage, you're getting a feat in an improvement. So you're yeah. not making this decision. Is it better to do nothing narratively for my character and improve right. a stat or do something that's really cool and build my character and build this wonderful story that we are collectively working on together? Right. You don't have to make a decision there. You always get both. That's what the improvement is. Plus yeah. one to one stat of your choice. Yeah. It's not a plus two. Yep. Plus one. Every time you get the you get a new improvement and you get a talent. And Lou and Nika, that talks exactly about the next bullet point on their list. Provide opportunities for players to make meaningful choices at higher levels. It's exactly what it is that you're talking about, where they don't have to go ahead and worry about... It's like whenever you're building a 20th level character, if you get to 18th level, it's I don't know what feat I'm going to pick. I guess I'll pick a double ASI now because there's nothing... I don't want other feats or anything like that. Now it's getting to the point where it's like you can go ahead and I suspect that if every level, every improvement level is going to be a feat and what is in effect a, a one point ASI. I mentioned that to me, that means that the feats are probably less powerful and maybe a little less crazy than some of the fifth edition feats. But let's be honest, some of the fifth edition feats were totally freaking bananas. So that's yeah, fine. But they equally um, had some feats that were like, why would I ever choose that? Why would I ever take sure this? There, there yeah, was no balance like, across that whole scale. of yeah, there, some real garbage. there were some feats where it's like, while this could be narratively okay in some games, it certainly wouldn't be in most games. And right. more importantly, it would never be better than taking a plus two to a to, to, yeah, to exactly. your stats. Yeah. Like, yeah. So you balance that by making feats a little less on the high end, a lot more on the low end, and then you get the talent at character, character gen. It's not restricted by list. You can get that one from anywhere. Yeah. That you qualify for. Yep. So the next point on the list was make spellcasting cooler. And again, with the whole differentiation between spells and rituals and the very, we went at nauseum about the possibilities that are now before us with that very simple choice. I think that they, I like what I'm seeing from spellcasting. I'm excited to go ahead and see more and then keeping combat interesting. We've already talked about a couple of the things that appear in some of the disciplines that seem to be really interesting variations on that fighter's path or on the spellcaster's path. And mm-hmm. I think that that's going to be very, uh, that's going to be very interesting to go ahead and see how they continue to go ahead and make combat cool again. Because like you were talking about, there's a, there comes a point where a fighter stops being as effective because they stop they because like or not as effective they're always effective but they're not as effective as like a 20th level rogue that's dropping backstab dice is going to do infinitely more damage than a fighter and is that really the way that should be going anyway all that to go ahead and say i think so far good on their stated goals so far absolutely i think any of the stated goals that we have seen fully or mostly fully at this point absolute yeses 
Yeah. Specifically on their transparency and their communication with the community. Hurrah. Really good job. The few things that we haven't quite gotten to yet, we'll see when that gets here. The few things that we're seeing inklings of and pieces of, we're on the right track. And I'm yeah. happy to see us on the right track. And I think that's two playtest documents in, two and a half months in from when things were officially announced. I think that's a pretty good spot to be yeah. in. Yeah. The one thing on the transparency front that I will say, and I, that's, I think that that them making the choice, I think I have softened in my position from where I was originally about them basing this off of 5e. I wasn't crazy about it at first. Glenn, you recounted when I first made the joke that instead of calling it Project Black Flag, they should call it Project Checkered Flag because it right. really wasn't like the like swashbuckling, we're taking down the system from within sort of movement that they said it was going to. And so to that end, I think what I would like to see is we're hypothesizing what their philosophy is on this and the reasons why they decided to go ahead and do this. And we can see like from a business mind point of view, it makes sense. Like why wouldn't they want to go ahead and do this? I think that I would like to see them lean into that a little bit more and them explain in more detail about why it was that they decided to go ahead and make that choice. What was really going on in the room when they decided that they could actually lean on the SRD and lean on the common com the common core rules that which is the coast I, I spit out. I, I happily take a stab at what was going on in that room because I get it completely, man. This, I, you and I disagreed on this almost yeah. from the beginning. Once mm -hmm. Watsy chose to give 5E to, to Creative Commons, to all of us, to the community, they said, fine, you can have it. We're backing yep. away. Once they did that, not just from a business standpoint, but from a project development standpoint, they were already building this product to be 5e compa backwards compatible. They were already creating it. They already had work in progress. And we know of at least six months, but very possibly more than that. Sure. Then they got, we're still going to do it because it's important. We're still going to do it. And that's when they announced it. And when the yeah. community was upset and Watsi was silent. And I don't fault them for that at all. But once Watsi gave it up, that boardroom, anybody would be sitting there going, we don't have to do this anymore. What makes more sense? To write for an existing game that our fans are already familiar with and already playing and already happy to continue playing. And some of them mm -hmm. are going to continue playing because there's a lot of players out there that didn't give a crap about the OGL issue at all because they're not content creators. It didn't affect them. So do we continue writing a game that's that can impact all of those players in a market where we that we've already created? Or do we continue down this other branch of the unknown and hope that it's okay yeah. when it's all said and done. It's a no-brainer. It was 100% the right decision. I have a and it is separate from WotC now. It's not Dungeons & Dragons. It's going to be a totally different game based off of the SRD, but separate. Have, here's the thing. If you are going to come out and say, we are going to be the trendsetter follow in our wake, you can always decide, you know what, maybe we're not going to be the trendsetter, maybe we're going to go ahead and stay comfortable, but you don't still then get to wave the flag as the trendsetter. You've got to own that decision. And that's the one thing that I will say, is that they are still trying to go ahead and play the, oh, look at how rebellious we're being, we're going to go ahead and do the thing, and they're not being rebellious. They are absolutely not. They are making the proper, responsible business decision. That means that they don't have to rewrite their previous 13 books. I get it. I understand it. It absolutely makes sense from a, from a business point of view. I just think it's a little disingenuous. I half hear what you're saying. I'm not all the way on board with you, but I'm not all the way on the other end. The one thing I will say is, regardless of whether or not they speak up and own that decision, 
I do think it is different enough where I think they are still being a trendsetter. And I say that because there's stuff in this game, and I doubt they were – I hope they were listening to us, but I don't know if they were listening to me specifically. There's stuff in this game that I've been complaining about and asking for three, for five years now, three and a half years on air, that is here and has not been in any other game in any other version other than I think one DM's Guild creator created one thing for it that, that, along those lines, specifically the breakdown between heritage and ancestry. So I think they are still – being trendsetters. I think that coupled with the need for a sound business decision makes sense to me. And I'll just say this. I was all about buying the G.I. Joe game, buying it and paying for it and getting to play it and running it. And then when it was, it's a whole new game system, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that right now. And then a lot, and right when I was about to make that decision to say, I love G.I. Joe enough where I'm going to do that, Evil Genius Game came along with Everyday Heroes, which is 5e base. So I'm like, so now I don't have to get another game system. And Josh is going to pull out his G.A. Joe game because I know he's got it. And I love it. I see it all the time. It is eventually <laughs> going to be on my shelf. It's G.A. Joe. But the fact is, if I walk into my local game store on a Saturday afternoon, I could get people to play. No. I could get people, people to play everyday heroes because it's 5e base all i have to say yeah. is hey i've got this modern game and it's 5e base so it's the same game you guys know let's just sit down and play characters here's some pre let's roll if i take out the J.J. renegades game i have to teach him a new game okay that, that to me makes a big difference okay, uh, but, so is this the comfortable blanket choice or is it a trendsetter they don't get to have it both ways it is both and, thank you glenn it is both because they are inventing an entirely new game that's based off of a fraction of Watsi's product, just the SRD. And they're going to now expand it into a full game that's going to include all of the pieces that Watsi has that they don't have. And it's going to stay familiar. But it's still totally different. Compatible, but different. Just look at the rules we've seen already. They were already designing a product to do this. So is it a little bit disingenuous? I'll give you that. A tiny bit not to have given us a little bit more information. But they've tried to. If you read some of the development logs and diaries, they've talked about why they made the choice. They've talked about the reasons that they made the choice. But at the end of the day, Lee Wanika makes a great point. Not everybody's ready to just, bam, jump on and learn a new system. But do I want... For myself, as someone who's been playing Dungeons and Dragons since I was eight years old, with the possibility of Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast continuing to go down this dark splintered path that I have to separate myself from them, do I want a totally new game that I'm completely unfamiliar with? Or do I want a game that's based off of the best D&D system that's come out so far? And then tweaked and adjusted by people like us that started in the community and know a lot of the things we've been saying for years need to be improved about the game. And they're doing it transparently with feedback and playtesting from the community of players so that we can say things, because I'm gonna. Bro, the base class should just be the scaffolding. Most of the main abilities for, the for it should come from the discipline. I'm yeah. going to send in that feedback. We have the opportunity to mold the game. And I'm yeah. going to follow that up lastly with... When two countries are at war, which is what we had going on there with the OGL <laughs> thing, right? Once the treaty starts, do you modify 
or do you continue to build tanks on their border? I hear you. I hear you. I just, yeah. All right. Let's put this one to bed, gentlemen. I think that we have, uh, we have ranted long enough. We have ranted long enough. I think, uh, I think uh, there's a good thing that we are all friends and we can agree to disagree on, on, on the extreme of my position here. So next week on the channel, we are really excited. And we we still love you. We do. So I still love you guys too. It's true. Absolutely. Next week on the channel, we have been talking about this for some time. Finally, we are launching our whole series of Star Trek content. So on Friday of next week, we're going to have our first of several interviews of the on Friday of next week, we have got our first of several episodes about the Star Trek Adventure core system, the 2D20 system that that's out by Modifius, to go ahead and talk about how you go ahead and run these games, what are the scaffolding that, that the game is built on. And our next Patreon actual play starts airing on Tuesday with the Session Zero work for the Star Trek Adventure game that we're calling Preservation. I am so very excited. I'm happy that we had this discussion tonight. Really good discussion that's going to give me fuel for the creative juices that are necessary for us to keep doing the writing that we do here yeah, at Tabletop Journeys and our game. So really looking forward to it. And I will just say this as I say goodnight to everybody. The one time that I want a brand new game is if it's in a totally brand new genre. That's why we're doing Star Trek. Yep. We're really looking forward to the Star Trek content. So anyway, all that to go yeah, ahead and say everybody. Blast. Yeah, it really is. It's the stuff that I've heard on it already is really great. I'm and I'm looking forward to go ahead and sitting behind the screen and uh, running some episodes here myself. So that'll be a lot of fun. But all that to go ahead and say, everybody, hope that you enjoyed this talk about uh, Project Black Flag. Let us know in the comments about what you think about about the playtest, what you think about uh, our opinions on the everything else that's surrounding it. And uh, yeah, we'd love to go ahead and hear from you. Make sure you leave that in the comments. So anyway. whether you agree or disagree, especially those of you who disagree, put them in the comments. Yeah, let's so, hear you. Yeah. All that to say, we'll talk to you next week when we start launching where we boldly go where we have never gone before. Awesome. All right, everybody. Good night. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you then. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for legends await. <laughs>